Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for checking out this episode. Uh, we're normally not an interview podcast, but for Herb Abrams, I kind of wanted to give a full spectrum, both sides of the story. You know, as a comedy podcast, we're going to do comedy <laughs> when we cover Herb Abrams. So I wanted to like kind of have more of a serious discussion about Herb Abrams. So I brought in Jonathan Pablon from the UWF Book Project. Probably said his name wrong. I'm sure he'll correct me on the podcast. This is a more serious discussion before we get into the jokes next week. Please check out John's Facebook page and enjoy. Wendy's! Hello, everyone, and welcome to this bonus interview episode of Tim Bell Pod. It is Nick here, as always, and I am joined by Jonathan Pamblan from the UWF and Herb Abrams Book Project. Hey, thank you for having me on. No problem. I uh, super appreciate you doing it. Uh, we'll just get right to the questions. How is the book coming? Do you have like a finish date in mind? And when it is done, is it going to be like a print thing or digital or both? Actually, the book's been pretty much done for a few months now. I had an editor look over it once I got done with the first sort of few drafts that I did. And he looked over it and sort of, you know, checked the the history and made sure that there were like little things that were correct. Like, uh, like the, I don't know, I guess like times when like how many times like someone would have a belt or if they wrestled in a certain promotion, I had to get a lot of that stuff checked because I really wasn't up on that. But that got done and we edited it. We got it done. And right now it's sort of in a weird sort of limbo. Um, because it is done, but we're still trying to work out the, the kinks mm-hmm. in terms of the publishing. But as for, you know, and this is one of the things that's been going on for so long, I've been writing this for so long, is that I don't want people to like feel like I'm just sort of like pulling them along. Like I honestly do have this book and it's done. And we're just right now trying to figure out the whole publishing thing. And it will be a print. Definitely that, and it. I can tell you right now that it's about a hundred and sixty thousand words, uh, about, <laughs> about five hundred pages uh, on my Microsoft uh, Word program. So it's it's done. The hard work is pretty much done. I there were other people I wanted to talk to that I just couldn't. And eventually, I had to just kind of say, "That's enough research. I got just like hand it in," because otherwise, I'll be writing it for another ten years. So a good segue into this it seems like you're doing just a ton of detective work reaching out to like all these people involved with uwf uh you have any crazy stories as far as just interacting with these people what's like the weirdest the most interesting a uh, horrible experience well um i there there there's one that comes to mind i really don't want to talk about that i don't know because it's gonna feel, it, it feels to me like I'm gonna be just like starting some sort of drama or some uh, sort of right, controversy, right, right. and I really don't want to bring that up now. Um, but in, I think overall, actually, the people that I've, I've spoken to have been, you know, super nice and nice. very willing to give up their time for the ones who were willing to talk to me. I guess in terms of like craziness, the one thing that, and this was a positive experience, was when I talked to. Lisa Moretti, who was uh, Ivory, and she wrestled on the Blackjack Brawl. And she was being inducted into the Hall of Fame that year when I talked to her. And she still was willing to, like, give me her number. And 
she was willing to set up a time. And this, like, I just sent this, like, letter through snail mail to, like, a address I found on the internet. And I couldn't believe that she trusted me enough to, like, <laughs> give me all this personal information and her time and everything. And she was great. So it was, it was stuff like that. Um, just, I guess the shock of talking to some of these people, you know, Colonel De Beers was kind of a surprise to hear over the phone. Um, Brian Blair, you know, these were, these are people that, you know, I've heard so much about growing up and, and to finally be able to talk to them. I think that was probably, in terms of something that I could talk about currently, that was probably the most craziest thing. That's awesome. Yeah, it seems like the majority of wrestlers are pretty cool. You'll get the one kind of jerk here and there, but they're, they're, pre- they're pretty cool people. All right, here's a, a maybe a weird question. Out of, out of all the things, out of all the promotions, you know, there, you could have done Smoky Mountain, you could have done ECW. Why the fascination with UWF? I watched it when I was younger. Okay. And at that age, around, it was around 90, 91. Um, I watched, you know, everything, all the wrestling I could. Like, I remember watching Global at that time and watching, of course, WWF and WCW and anything that I could catch, I'd watch. And I remember just like flipping through the channels and finding the UWF. And the one thing that always stuck with me was that they had their show, uh, the one that I caught that time in like the, the Penta Hotel, and it was sort of like in, sort of like a, not like really a, a sort, of, sort of sports venue. It was sort of like in this kind of maybe convention hall. There was mm-hmm. carpet on the floor and everything. And that, that weird placement, that, that weird environment was what kind of stuck with me. And later on, when I got the internet much later on, I remember trying to find out more about it. And of course, you type in UWF into, any search engine, you're going to get like a million different UWFs. So it took me a while, but I eventually found out that it was the Herb Abrams uh, promotion. And when I started reading more about Herb Abrams, that of course piqued my interest. And I was wanting to write a wrestling book because I had read so many, you know, and especially I remember the one that really like influenced me was Death of WCW. And that was the one that said, that kind of told me that, like, I would like to do something like this. And I guess the more that I learned about Herb Abrams, the more I wanted to learn more about him. And I noticed that there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of information out there. So I decided that I would, I would write that, uh, on that topic first, because it, it, it seemed to me it was something that wasn't completely told. And also it didn't, it, the information online was never like the, uh, was never serving context of what was going on. Some of the information was wrong. Um, I kind of wanted people to know that this Herb Abrams was just a regular guy instead of sort of thinking that he was the sort of cartoon character that, you know, is, is, you know, you, that you could mock and make fun of. I wanted to kind of show the more the human aspect of Herb Abrams and, um, so that's what sort of got me motivated to write the book. So, yeah. Are you a uh, writer by trade or is this like a passion project? Uh, uh, writer by trade. I guess it would mean I would get paid more often than I do. <laughs> you know, I, I've written stuff before. Mm-hmm. Um, like the biggest, the biggest project I probably get, I got was probably when I wrote for Instinct Magazine. 
about openly gay professional wrestlers. And that was like my biggest accomplishment. And of course, that was like 10 years ago. And I've never really matched that since. But, you know, now I sort of write, I, I usually write fiction right now just because it just seems like that's the avenue that I'm most sort of attracted to at this point. But I have written things before and I have gotten, you know, jobs done before, but I, I can't say that like it's a huge portion of my, you know, monthly income or anything. Right. So yeah, I'm a writer, but professional maybe in quotation marks. So. All right. <laughs> I would say Herb's direct involvement in pro wrestling is, you know, in 2020, it's somewhat documented. You can hop on YouTube and find the UWF, but everything before wrestling and everything after wrestling kind of is missing. Is there anything you could tell us about Herb's life before and after UWF? Well, before uh, the UWF, he worked a lot in the clothing industry. His Father worked in the clothing industry. His mother worked sales in a clothing store, and his dad was a tailor. So I think that was just sort of naturally what he sort of, uh, the business that he went into initially. He did other things, too. He moved from different um, sort of, I don't know, aspects of the clothing industry, uh, doing different things, maybe like being a buyer for a store or, you know, stuff like that. He had some little... Like, he sold gold at a time when gold was, like, really valuable at the time, and that was another way that he was able to sort of make money. But the thing is, is he was always very successful in what he did, and especially in the clothing industry. And it's it's that sort of weird idea that this guy who was making all this money and being able to, you know, pretty much live his life any way he wanted to, like, he wasn't like a multi-millionaire but he was fairly successful and fairly well off and then he went into the uwf which the wrestling industry i think except for you know wwf is pretty much like you're gonna be bled dry with your money like it's not a smart financial move (laughs) so he like i said he he decided to abandon all the clothing industry all the success and he for a few years you know he went right into the uwf you know, dropped all this money and, you know, sadly lost a lot of it. Um, the thing about after the UWF is there never really was an after. He was still working on shows because the last show was the Blackjack Brawl and he was trying to put together more wrestling shows, um, in foreign countries. He was trying that one, like, uh, the Pacific Rim, I know was one that he was trying to break into because the UWF tapes, sold so well in that um, part of the world, but they were all being bootlegged. So it was one of those things where he tried to get money, make money to do a tour over there, but that didn't work. Um, so it was like another lost re- revenue situation. Zeus Rift, who had quit before the Blackjack Brawl, came back in as vice president. And then, you know, you had El Berkser working in there too, and they were always working towards a... Uh, another show and uh, i think the last one uh that one of the ones that that came out publicly about what they were working on was some show where it was very sort of zook's rift i don't know if anybody is too familiar with him but he's like this sort of um experimental musician and he had a lot of wacky ideas and so one of them was i can't remember exactly the participants one of them was sabu 
and it was supposed to be like an aqua, a psychotic aqua match or something like that. And like, I mean, I don't know what any of that is, but there were always those shows that they were planning on doing. And of course, Herb Abrams died in the UWF office. So he was still trying to do things. He never really went on to do another job. He was just trying to sell the, the TV shows into different markets. And, you know, he, he always thought that there was a future, but eventually, like, he, it, UWF closed because Herb Abrams died. The UWF didn't close before Herb Abrams. He just didn't hear anything from him. So, he was always in it. Um, I guess also, this might be kind of a nice factoid too, was that when he was working in the clothing industry, he'd bring a lot of, uh, wrestlers in for like, uh, autograph signings and stuff at, to attract customers. So he was always, he always had his eye on professional wrestling and doing something with it. And I guess, you know, ultimately it just killed him. All right. I'm sure you've seen the dark side of the ring thing already. Is there anything that noticeably you think they like overlooked or didn't mention, or you think it was pretty spot on? I've heard complaints from Abrams' uh, family that they thought that it focused too much on the sort of the sensational aspects, like the prostitutes and the drugs. Um, for me watching it, uh, I knew that they only had, you know, like, I don't know how much time there is without commercials, like 44 minutes, but they had 44 minutes to put in a lot of material. So I think overall they did well. Um, I think they did. Yeah. Yeah. I think they did very well in what they were trying to do. Like I said, there's only so much time that they had and the, you know, the interviews and then you have to try to match that with finding these facts or these timetables or these timelines, I should say. And, it's for what they, you know, I think they did a fine job overall. I was actually, I was actually notified. I was actually, uh, emailed before they decide to do the show on Herb Abrams by one of the producers of that show. And I sort of gave them sort of a starting point in terms of like who to talk to and everything. So I had sort of a, a part in it. Um, I don't know if that makes me, uh, biased, you know, for it, but. Oh uh, no, I think they did all right. Yeah. Speaking of like overlooking stuff, what's some UWF just hitting gold? What matches, promos, characters, like what what's something that people are are missing when they, you know, just glance over UWF? Oh, there there's so much. I mean, in terms of like obviously CUWF, um there was a lot of wackiness involved. Um I don't know if like any of your listeners have ever seen the the Super Ninja versus Madman Pondo match from the War Memorial in 91, which is, is up on YouTube if anybody wants to, uh, look at it. And Madman Pondo will tell you right now, it's just, it's atrocious. Like, it's, I can't even really explain. There's like nothing, like, it's, it seems very amateurish. Um, and considering the amount of experience that both of those guys had at the time, it explains you know, why that would be that way. But there were, like, in terms of, like, really good parts of the show, there was an interview with Paul Orndorff and Herb Abrams after uh, Steve Williams had attacked him. And it was very, it's, it's, Paul Orndorff has this very sort of calm fury about him when he's talking. It's absolutely amazing. And Herb Abrams, who usually was overboard on a lot of his mannerisms and his sort of, uh, 
cheerleading of the of the UWF. He's very subdued and it works very well because it seems like suddenly all this sort of I don't know this sort of uh freewheeling sort of promoter all of a sudden has to become very sort of just be very serious all of a sudden and I think it conveys that very well for the build up for that uh Steve Williams versus uh Paul Orndorff. Yeah, in 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 it it's like the UWF really wasn't known much for its great professional wrestling matches. There were a lot you had a lot of great athletes, but a lot of the times the booking wasn't I guess the best. Duels were probably the two I would think so right now, just off the top of my head, which were the best. Um was the Paul Orndorff interview and anything from that Steve Williams versus Paul Orndor feud for, with the exception of some of the the finishes of the matches, especially the blow-off match, that stuff was really well done. And, of course, and I go back to that Madman Pondo Super Ninja match from the War Memorial, uh, which is even better because Captain Lou, it was Captain Lou's last appearance at a UWF show, and he's basically just doing what he wants to. He's coming in and out of the locker room and just going on the announcing for no reason, and he just completely trashes the entire show, which is hilarious. So if you want to see something that's really kind of UWF crazy, it's definitely that War Memorial show, um, the one after Beach Brawl. But if you want to see something that's more serious and something that showed that they could do a good build-up, definitely the early days with Steve Williams and Paul Orndorff. I think my favorite thing after everything I've watched, uh, just doing my own research, is uh, Doctor Death just massacring Davy Meltzer, <laughs> like and he just buries the like ends his career. Yeah, it's it, it's sort of funny about that because I had heard that what happened was Abrams was angry at Meltzer before even the promotion started, so he. He went to the back and he asked Bill Anderson, who was the one who was handling the enhancement talent, and he asked Bill Anderson, he's like, who's the worst wrestler you have? <laughs> and he pointed out at um Adam Michaels, who was Davey Meltzer's real name, and he's like, yeah, we're going to put him out there. And the poor guy, like, he got, like, it wasn't just the Steve Williams match where he just got pounded into oblivion. He had matches with, like, Cactus Jack and Ludwig Borga, and he just got killed. And, you, you like, the sacrifice this guy made, and, like, that's the other thing. It's like, no one knows what sort of happened to him. So I'm wondering if that didn't just, you know, completely scare him from wrestling for the rest of his life. So, yeah, that, that poor guy, Adam Michaels, he sacrificed his body for our entertainment. There's a good bit of stories about Herb kind of trolling WWF, like calling up to like try to buy them, and like there's the FU belt and all that. Do you have any uh any more kind of Herb being petty stories that maybe aren't as known out there? You know, one of the things that that I always sort of ask people is like, what was his fascination with Vince McMahon? And people said that he was sort of just overly concerned about Vince McMahon in the WWF. The one thing that I can think of right now was that the first show that they were planning on doing, and I apologize, I can't remember where it was, where it originally was. They eventually had to move it to the Reseda Country Club. But their first show that they were going to plan got canceled at like the last minute. 
And the, the people who owned the building said they had something to do with permits. Uh, but Herb Abrams was convinced that Vince McMahon had, you know, gone out there and forced them to not take the show on or, or the building to cancel the show. So he, he was just, I, he was absolutely convinced that Vince McMahon had something to do with it. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. It, it seems to me like Vince McMahon probably had bigger fish to fry than some show that was going to be, you know. But yeah, he, he definitely did blame him for that first show getting canceled. So I think that off the top of my head, I think is probably the one, the one thing that it seems like he was, you know, being petty with about or just blaming all his, you know, screw ups on Vince McMahon. So yeah. So UWF had some really good star power. They had the ability to get on pay-per-view, which a lot of promotions even today can't do. They they had t- regular TVs, which is, again, just crazy. With all that, why, why do you think they ended up failing? I think one of the reasons, and this is kind of a boring answer, but I think it's just that. It's, it's just the nature of the business. I think wrestling shows, I mean, all those independent promotions from that time you know, closed. I mean, it's, it's not the most stable business to be part of, uh, first of all. But I think, and this is one of the sort of misconceptions of the UWF is that Abrams never really paid his wrestlers. But the thing is, he actually overpaid a lot of them to attract them to the UWF and to hang out with them. So I think, I mean, and these were like the big name stars. I don't think he was, you know, shelling out all this money for, you know, some of these enhancement talents or whatever. But when they had a name attached to him and they had been, you know, a star in another promotion, he paid them everything that they wanted so they would come in. And that, I think, is what killed them early on. Because it wasn't like Abrams wasn't, like Sports Channel America was financing the show and the contracts and everything. But eventually he was running all of that money that they had given him for those shows too. And then when Sports Channel America canceled the show in 91, I think that was the biggest blow because then they couldn't, they couldn't pay all those big name stars. They couldn't pay for all of those guys. And they only had to, they had to pay with what they had. And then the show went from being sort of a, a wannabe large federation into just sort of another independent promotion with like a show on, you know, regional television in California. So I think it was definitely a combination of just being like Abrams not knowing what he was doing in the wrestling uh, industry and then making changes based on, not on anybody else's opinion or anybody else who's like any other expertise. So it's definitely Abrams going into wrestling promotions, starting his own wrestling promotions, probably the, the first problem. And then just doing what he wanted to do and not listening to anybody that knew better and overpaying. And then, of course, you know, and then the drug abuse and everything too distracted him. And there were times when they probably could have put on another show had he not used that money for, you know, alternate reasons. So yeah, I mean, it's, some people think that they said that they, like it could still be around. I don't think so. I, I think regardless, even if he wasn't on drugs, the UWF would probably close within a couple of years anyway, just because it just seems like that's the way it is. 
not to phrase this like Jerry Seinfeld, but what's the deal with this Herb Abrams Jr.? Oh, he's a con artist. Like, it's, this popped up a few years ago, and I remember writing the family about it and being like, is this guy for real or whatever? It went on for years. He's another one of those individuals in some wrestling website actually found out who he was and posted about it, which I think people, if they, you know, search for it, you know, Google it, they'd probably be able to find out who this guy was and what he was trying to do. But yeah, he he's one of those people that I, I don't like to talk about too because I think it's just, it gives him more recognition. Yeah. Like this guy was just, like that family for a while, for a few years, he just felt tormented by this because this guy was spreading all these, you know, lies and, and all these stories that obviously weren't true. It's, I don't know, it's, it, I mean, I guess, I guess it's the internet, anything, anyone can do anything they want on it and say who, whoever they are. But I don't know, it, it, it just seems to me that even with all this sort of this talk and these people asking him politely to kind of stop this, he kept going. And he's still doing it today, and it's sort of one of those things where it's like, you know, just come on. You know, it's, it's, it's the one thing that does sort of, I don't know, tick me off about it personally was that there were a lot of, not a lot, but there were a few wrestling personalities that were, that refused to talk to me, but then started talking to this Herb Abrams Jr. Because I don't know if they really thought that it was like his son or something. So. That's the sort of the, the, the thing that sort of angers me the most about it. But obviously, like, the family just thought it was just a horrible way to sort of, I don't know, a horrible idea to kind of take the name and then just absolutely make it a, a huge concern for all the family and everything. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's just what it is, I guess. He almost got me because, you know, I've been a wrestling fan my entire life and Herb Abrams is kind of a deep cut. So to see someone just named Herb Abrams Jr., I was like, well, clearly this is really his son. And then I started thumbing through some of his comments on his page and there are people actively like, you're a scam artist and blah, blah, blah. blah. So I definitely wanted to hear what you thought about it. Let's see. Very kind of Andy Kaufman or or Elvis like. Uh, there are um, people who think Herb is still alive. Uh, what percentage would you put on that? Oh, zero. I was one of those people that always thought it was kind of cool. The sort of I don't know you want to say conspiracy theory or whatever that he faked his own death. I thought it was perfect for just the type of person he was, and then sort of the legacy he left behind. But I know that there's a lot of people who had to deal with that death, close friends and family, and they had to deal with that, with the death, you know, so close to them. And it angers them. I know it's it was one of the things that they were unhappy about with the dark side of the ring was that it, they brought that up, actually. So, I mean, there's... No, I... I as as much as someone... And I'm... I'm you know, when I, when I was young, like I loved reading about how, you know, Elvis was alive in the <laughs> weekly world news and stuff. So I dig all that stuff, but yeah, there's, there's no chance. There's, he's, he's passed on. So winding down here, you have a open mic to talk to wrestling fans. What's kind of your final thoughts on UWF or what's something you would like to put over or even just squash, you know, just uh, address wrestling fans on UWF? Um, that it, 
it wasn't so much that it, the Fury Hour shows weren't so much of a horrible show as they were just very boring when compared to wrestling shows of today. There were, you know, silly parts of it, and there were all these people who sort of, uh, when it came out, were very critical of it and everything. And one of the things that they were most critical about was how Herb Abrams put himself over on the entire show, all the shows. Uh, and he was like the main focal point, especially during that South Carolina uh, show where he was got busted open by Ivan Koloff. And you could see him blading when he was on the floor. Though the thing that is most remarkable is that the UWF now is famous because of Herb Abrams. There was a time when that was such a detriment uh, to the company because he was turning people off. But now people watch that show specifically to see Herb Abrams and what he did and some of the remarks they made on the uh, television program. And there's something very sort of, I don't know how I put it, but it's, there's something very nice about knowing that here was a guy who always wanted to be famous and he, he ruined that. He ruined his, the possibility of becoming famous when he was alive by the things he did. But now he's become famous and more well known for those same things that one time turned people off. And I think too, the other thing when you're watching those shows, I think you gotta keep them, you know, you gotta look at them through the context through the perspective of knowing that these were, that this was just his sort of, this was an example, a, sort of like a social experiment, what happens when a guy is given like a million dollars to fund a you know, personal project of his. And when you watch it and you kind of see him putting himself over on all the shows, it's kind of, I don't know, it, it's, it's interesting to watch just to see what happened what was left on the shows and stuff like that. Like what, what actually made it to the television program. So I think the one thing that you have to take away is just that Herb Abrams eventually became the star that he never was when he was alive. And for a show that people just criticize and hate and argue about and, you know, whatever, it somehow turned itself into a, a part of wrestling history that some of those other promotions that were started back then in the independence, you know, people really don't remember a lot of them. This one became famous for, you know, Herb Abrams and for all the stuff that he at one time was told he shouldn't do. So I think that's, that's sort of what I would, I would sort of tell your, your listeners about the one thing that, that you could take, away from everything that happened. It's just that, like, he eventually did it, but he wasn't allowed to see it. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate you doing this. Tell everyone the best landing page, the best way to look for the book, expect the book, uh, or to find you. Yeah, Facebook. Uh, just look up uh, Herb Abrams. I think it's under UWF Book Project. And hopefully soon there'll be some sort of news about when it can be purchased. Uh, but that's going to be the best place for everyone to, to keep up with updates is going to be on that Facebook page. So just look it up on Facebook. All right. Well, thank you again, John. And uh, everyone, go like his Facebook page. And also next week, we're going to take a shot at covering the great Herb Abrams. Until then, I will talk to you guys later.
he speak? Speak? Yeah, good boy.